All right. Um, like Jay said, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Um, really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us. We're honored that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us. And if I haven't got to meet you before, if I don't know you, I'd love to meet you. So if you have a bit after the service to stick around and just come up and let me say hi face-to-face, that would be great. We are continuing on in this series, um, this five-week series called Freedom and Joy in Jesus. And this is a really, we're taking this time to really explain and clarify and make sure we're all on the same page with why we're here as a church, what our mission is, and then how we um, want to accomplish that mission, and that is really focusing on our five family values. So our mission statement up here, I'll read it again. I read it last week, but we'll read this every week just so we're um, kind of seeing this is what ties us together. We exist to glorify God by leading people to find freedom and joy in Jesus. The one thing I want to say, if, if you want more of a deep dive into that, you can go back and listen to last week's sermon. But the, the word I want to focus on is leading there. This idea of leading is not necessarily from the, the elders or pastors or leader of, leadership of the church perspective. It really is for all of us. This is that we lead each other to find freedom and joy in Jesus. Right? You may be leading your, your family. You may be leading your kids. You may be leading your gospel community or leading in a ministry, another ministry of the church or in your discipleship group, right? So there's a lot of places that you can lead as uh, members of the church. And so when we say leading people, that's, we're leading each other. Like I need you all, you all need the leadership, we need each other, okay? So I want to clarify that before moving into our values. And last week we looked at gospel center, our values will be up here so you can Remember those. Um, last week, we looked at gospel centrality, which was we center our lives on the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you have formative um, community. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we'll continue with those three other ones um, in the following weeks. But formative community, when we say this, this is what we mean. As a family of God, we belong to radically loving and formative communities. As a family of God, as the church, we belong to radically loving and formative communities. So what we believe, going back to the mission statement, is that we can't find freedom and joy in Jesus without living life and doing life with other brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible doesn't give us a roadmap for finding freedom and joy in Jesus without each other without doing this with our other brothers and sisters in Christ, okay? Let's define community. This is just straight out of uh, Webster's. Uh, Community is a social unit with commonality such as norms, religion, values, custom, or identity, right? That's a really broad definition, but that is community. And we intentionally put formative, um, tack that onto community because we believe that Communities are usually formative in some way. Some are stronger in their ability to form us, and some are uh, weaker in their ability to form us. You can kind of imagine and, and, and think of the communities that you're involved in. Some of those um, influence us a great deal in our behavior, and some of them don't necessarily influence us a great deal. But biblical community should be very formative. So when we say community, There's an assumption we're making when we believe that when you're in community with other brothers and sisters, you will be formed more into the image of 
Jesus. Okay, that is what we mean by formative community. So today we're going to look at really three aspects of community uh, to help us understand what we mean when we say formative community. The first is going to be that God has designed us to be in community. God has designed us to be in community. Second, Jesus defines what community is. We don't define that. Jesus defines that. And then three, we're going to look at what does it look like when the Spirit empowers us to live as community. So let's look at that first one, God's design for us. We were created for community. It was hardwired into us. See, in Genesis 1, God says, and again, it's just the Trinity there, right? God the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They say in the Trinity, let us, plural, make man in our image. So when we're made in the image of God, we are made um, as communal beings. We were designed to be in community. From the very beginning, there hasn't even been a statement that says live in community yet, but because we're created by the Trinity, the, the, the three persons in God that have existed in community, in perfect community from all of eternity past, that, and, and we're created through the overflow of the love that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have for one another, that is how we're created. So when we think of the term image bearers, that we're created in God's image, we should think, we are made to be in community. And then a few uh, verses later there in, in Genesis, we see God saying it is not good that man should be alone. And he's not talking necessarily about marriage there, although it includes marriage. He's talking about just community in general. It is not good that humans, for, for humans to live alone or be alone or do life alone. It is not good. So the very beginning of creation, God says it's not good. We can't flourish as human beings apart from community. And we especially can't flourish as, as Christians apart from biblical community with our brothers and sisters. Look, in, look at Joseph um, Hellerman's quote. This is from a book called When the Church Was a Family. He says this, Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow. People who leave do not. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we grow and we thrive together or we don't grow much at all. So if we're, in the, if we're interested in growing in our relationship with God, and if you're a follower of Jesus in here, hopefully you're saying, yes, I want to grow. Yes, I want to find more freedom and joy in Jesus. Yes, I want to honor and glorify God to a greater degree in my life. Then we should be about community. Now, so it's clear the Bible is, it commands this. Is, is, we're designed for this, but we also see this just in, in culture, in, in studies on uh, loneliness and people who uh, lack community. Listen to some um, um, characteristics of chronic loneliness, and this is from a study that Cigna did, the kind of the big um, medical association. They did the study on what makes people lonely and really how many people are lonely. These are some characteristics of loneliness. If you have an inability to connect with others on a deeper, more intimate level. Another one is you have no close or best friends. You have an overwhelming feeling of isolation regardless of where you are and who's around you. You have negative feelings of self-doubt and self-worth. You experience exhaustion and burnout when trying to engage socially. It's really hard when you have to do that. Okay, there are these, those are the characteristics of loneliness. I'm sure in a room this size, many of you are, feel lonely. 
or you feel like you're lacking in the area of community. Chronic loneliness can also lead to health problems. Studies across the board that have shown this can lead to things like depression, sleep disorders, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, mental health and emotional problems, substance use, substance abuse, right? And it can also lead through, in, in concert with these other things, but even by itself, studies have shown that chronic loneliness can lead to a shorter lifespan. So it's, no, it's not, not a surprise that these studies are finding this when we go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and see that our design is to be in community. Now, not only that, Jesus also defines community for us. We read Mark 3, 31 through 35. Let's look at Mark 3, 33. It'll be on the screen. So um, Jesus and, and his followers are inside, his disciples are inside, and somebody comes and says, hey, Jesus, your, your family's outside, right? They're like your, your, your people and, and your, your people closest to you, right, are outside. And they they, they kind of want you to come out or they want, they want to get your attention. And Jesus, in that statement, uses this, as Jesus often does, as an opportunity to teach. And he teaches on what family is, what community is. And he, it says he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? You know, Jesus does this all right. Like, answers a question to a question, right? Like to, to, to enter into this teaching time. And it says in verse 34, and looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. And these are, again, his disciples, or closest disciples are around him. He says, this is my mother and my brothers. These are the people that I call family. And he says, forever who does the will of God, he is my brother and sisters and mother. So what Jesus is saying here, he's, he's redrawing the lines of what family is. He's saying those who are following me, those who are doing what I ask them to do, those who are giving, who, those who've given their life to me, those who would call themselves Christians, though, that is my family, the people around me, the people that, that are living with me in this amount of time, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. Now, this, 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 um, this idea of, of close family kind of unit um, was, was, a, was prevalent back in this time period, that what they call a, um, a strong uh, group culture, right? So this is what sociologists call strong group culture, meaning that in the culture that Jesus was ministering in and grew up in, they put the collective or the group over the individual. And what we have in our day and age in our country is a weak group culture, meaning that we put the individual over the group. So it wasn't controversial that Jesus was talking about the close-knit ties of family. That would have been shocking. What was shocking in this context, is the fact that he redrew the lines and he left the nuclear family out of it. He left like your, your blood, your, your, your mother and your father from, from birth and your brothers and sisters from your actually parents themselves, your nuclear family. That would have been mind-blowing to this culture when Jesus said that. Like revolutionary. Because we don't really... We don't really take it that way because our culture doesn't have that strong sense of family. We're definitely not as strong as this particular society did. We have you know, widespread acceptance of divorce, and we have weak family ties. And, and a lot of us, at 18, we leave the family and don't ever turn back. And we don't spend a lot of time in our adult years living with our parents. But in this culture, it was completely different. This was shocking for Jesus to say this. So what Jesus is saying, that we were not just created for relationships, we were created for family. And think about that. Think of the implications of that, right? You don't get to choose your family. If you take this back to the, to the nuclear family, you don't get to choose your family. 
They're given to you. You are born into the family that is given to you, right? That is that they're given to you. You don't get to choose family, and it's for life. Whether you have a a good relationship with your family or a bad relationship with your nuclear family, it is for life, period. That's the way it is. And so when Jesus redraws the lines of family here, we need to apply those implications to this. Like we, Family and friendship aren't the same thing, right? Friendship may happen within family, which is great, but it may not happen. Friendship is not guaranteed to happen within a family structure. So again, put this back in our context, talking about the church, right? We don't necessarily get to choose the people we do life with in the church. Maybe a little bit, but sometimes we don't, right? Because we are a family. You see other places Jesus says these things, kind of these shocking statements about family. He says we should hate, he says to hate your father and mother in one place in Luke 14. And comparing um, our brothers and sisters and our new family uh, um, under God we compare that and we compare that to a biological family, we should hate them. We should hate our biological family. Jesus is using superlative there, but nonetheless, he's trying to make a point. He also says when one of his disciples says, hey, I need to go home and I need to, to, to bury my father. Um, and really, he's not really necessarily talking about, hey, I need to go home and like, actually have the funeral for him. What he's saying is, I need to go home and, and kind of get everything ready for when my father passes away. Because I'm going to get the inheritance. I need to get everything settled. I need to go home and take care of that. And that's when Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Jesus said that. Again, shocking statement to us, right? Kind of Jesus seems very callous when he says that. But again, he's trying to make the point that this is your family now. This is a, your spiritual family, and it, the bonds are stronger than your nuclear family or your, your given family. Jesus lived in community. He modeled this, right? Those of you who have watched the, uh, the, the TV series, The Chosen, which I highly recommend it, you, this really comes out that I've noticed in that series, right? The, the, these, the, these guys and, and these women, these followers of Jesus, they, they, do, they do life together, and they're traveling together, and they, they have these camp-type things together, and they, they, they do ministry together. And this is, a, I think, a good picture of the way it was like. And think about also the disciples, right, the, the diversity of disciples. You think of all the, tw- just look at the 12, right? You had a, a tax collector, right, Matthew or Levi. He was on the payroll of the Romans. The Romans were paying him to do his job, and he was a Jew, right? So the Jewish people hated, hated tax collectors. They were traitors, turned their back on their culture because the Romans were so awful and mean to the, the Jews. And then you had a zealot called Simon. The zealots were these Jewish nationalists, like kind of the Navy SEALs of the Jewish nation, and they were taught in hand-to-hand combat, in fighting, and they were, um, the whole time that they were under occupation of Rome, they were fighting this guerrilla warfare with the Roman army. So these were, they were, they would, they would easily give their life for the sake of the Jewish nation over against Rome. So you have Matthew the tax collector, Simon the zealot, living as family in the company of Jesus. It's mind-blowing, and, and we have trouble trying to do church with people that we may not vote with, right? But vote again, vote with, or along the same lines. I mean, this is like, if you watch cable news, this is like putting like Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow on the same team, right? Like, if, if you don't get that, then you're probably not watching cable news, which is probably a good thing, right? So I don't recommend that. But that's the picture 
that we need to have when we think of the type of people that were following Jesus. And this is what he was building. This is, this is our model for community inside the church. And Jesus called people uh, to follow it at the same time to do it in community. Um, so God has designed us to be in community. Jesus redraws the lines or defines what that is as kind of a family. And then lastly, we see the Spirit empowering us to live as community. And then we go to Acts 2, right? Beginning of Acts 2, or at Acts 1, actually, the Spirit comes on the disciples. Peter begins to preach the gospel in Acts 2. Preaches this amazing sermon. Thousands of people get saved. The Spirit falls. And, and, and from Acts 41, or 241 to 242, the, it seems like they go from being saved straight into the life of the local church. Straight into the life of church. So they were saved into the church community. And then we have here at the beginning of Acts 2, verse 42. This is a, a fairly common passage when talking about the church, but I want to really focus on the beginning of this for most of our time. Really that third word there. It says, and they devoted. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to the family. They were devoted to the community. That word for devotion there means really to continue to do something with intense effort. And it also has kind of the connotation of doing it in the midst when things are hard, when things are difficult, when things are challenging. Um, and it means continuing steadfastly. Some of your English translations even uh, um, translate that word for devotion to steadfast. Okay, so they, they, they put effort into it. There was this intensity behind it. And they were doing it in a tough context. This was probably in the context of persecution, but our difficult context to live this out is really in this radical, individualistic nature uh, of our culture. Like We value the individual in our culture so much more than the group. So this is counter-cultural trying to do this. It's striving to know people, strive to, to be being known by people, letting your guard down. Devotion holds everything that follows in this passage together. We often focus on all the things in Acts 2 that we see them doing, and we'll get there here in a second, but I want us to stop and see that devotion, the devotion to one another held all of these other things together. This was their posture. This is where it all starts. We're talking about being a part of the family, being part of the community. We have to start with devotion. So I want to just lay out four, I think, um, barriers to devotion that we all struggle with. Okay, I'm going to go through these pretty quick, but I think we're all um, vulnerable to, the, to one of these four things, or at least one of these. Okay, first mistake we make is that we mistake connectivity for community. Okay, we know that our world is more connected than any time in the history of the world. It is, period. But some of those, the things I read earlier, um, we're more lonely than ever. Like the, the world, and especially our culture, has never been lonelier, ever. But we've, and we've never been more connected. Something should, that, that, we should see that somewhere, right? That, that should tell us something, right? There's a direct correlation, studies have shown, between social media use and loneliness. Studies out there. You can, it's, like, it's like clear correlation between that, right? So mistaking connectivity for community. And hopefully, I know it's hard for us. We're, it's, it's, it's addicting. There's all sorts of things, how that messes with our brain and brain chemistry and addiction. We can't get into that this morning, but we should be aware of that. Be aware that have you replaced connectivity for community? The next mistake we make, we mistake chemistry for community. 
And so you might be thinking, we all probably have a friend that, that is not around here, that lives far away, and maybe we see them a couple of times a year, maybe you talk to them on the phone, keep up with them on social media, um, but that is not a person you're living in community with. It's a person that you have chemistry with. They're a friend. You spent time with them at one time, or you have common interests, and you're staying in touch with them, but that is not community, Right? So you can have community with people, this, this, this commitment to live life together, and not have chemistry. Again, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, zero natural chemistry, right? Hatred for one another with all, uh, outside of the community of Jesus. So we should be after community and not chemistry. Now, within community, the prayer is that you get both, right? In your community, hopefully there's a few people that you're like, hey, we really connect, or we, there's this vibe between us that, that, that we, we like the same things and we just really get along together. But that is not the goal. Chemistry is not the goal. Again, community is the goal. And sometimes we mistake chemistry for community. Next one, the third one I'll say is, is fear. We're just scared of it. And I think we're all here at some degree. We're all a little afraid of being known. We're all a little afraid of committing to a group of people saying, I want to be in your life. I want to be in your crew, in your group. Why? Because we can get exposed. The closer we get in community, the closer we get as a family, our stuff comes out. Our junk starts to come out. You think about it. We are the, mo- we are the best and worst people with the people that we love the most. Here's what I mean by that. Um, if you just take my sin, right, I would say 90% of my sin comes in the environment of my family, with, with or around my wife, and with or around my, my kids, my two boys. Um, and it's not necessarily that I'm my worst self around them, but it's, it's I'm my real self, right? I'm, I'm, I don't have my guard up. I don't have my mask on. Uh, hopefully, if you were just following me around at home, you would see some amazing, like, best, like, Jesus, Holy Spirit-inspired Jeremy coming out in my home. But you're also going to see some fleshly stuff coming out as well. Because I don't have my guard up at home. I am who I am. There's some, there's some, there's some stuff I'm still working through with my tone and how I speak to my kids and, and, and some of those things. You're going to see that at home, but, it, you know, it, it, especially here on Sunday morning, you're not going to see that. Again, we, because I'm safe with them. Like, they're, they're not going anywhere, right? Like, marriage is, is for life, we think. And so, Nicole's not going anywhere. Our, our, my kids aren't going anywhere. So, I can let my guard down and be myself. Community requires vulnerability. It does. It requires vulnerability. It, ca- it requires us to let our guard down. It requires us to allow people in to be our real selves, okay? Not putting our best foot forward all the time, putting the mask on, trying to impress people. Community causes us to lay those things down. But it's hard. It's risky to put ourselves out there and trust that you may get hurt. You may be betrayed. But that is the calling that we have as followers of Jesus. And it means really getting to our junk. Like, we can't really, we, we're, we're never going to find freedom and joy in Jesus if we don't deal with our junk. If we don't deal with our relationships with our, with our, with our mom or our father wounds or our relationship with our spouses. 
right? Or our relationship with our siblings or our, our deep, dark sins that we don't want anybody to know about. Those things are going to keep us from looking more like Jesus and experiencing freedom and joy in Jesus. God has given the community, giving us families to help us walk through those things together, again, so that we can find freedom and joy in Jesus. So one of the first steps is kind of overcoming that fear and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable in the midst of a group of people that can encourage us, can hold us accountable, can love us well, can say, I, I know what it's like, or I'm with you, or can I pray for you? Or can, you can say something that's really kind of maybe shocking in some areas, and like, okay, let's talk about that. Let's deal with that. Let's, let's, let's work through that together because I'm with you. I'm your brother. I'm your sister, and I ain't going anywhere. I'm a sinner too. So let's walk through this together. Let's deal with this together. So fear is the third one. The, the fourth one, and maybe the most prevalent, uh, just in my experience, is lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. Listen to what Pastor John Tyson in New York City says about this. The challenge is that we ache and deep down desperately desire community. But because we've been formed by this world, we live in, and even the church, and even the church, we don't have the ability and maybe maturity to make the kind of commitments necessary to get the kind of community we long for all along. And what he's saying there is he's saying that part of being a mature human being is willing to, to commit to things. Willing to say yes to something even though you don't know how it's going to turn out. Or you say yes to, to being a part of something not knowing really is this going to benefit you or not. Or how this is going to turn out, right? That's part of growing up and, 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 and maturing as a, as a human being, especially as a follower of Jesus. Pastor John Tyson also compares um, kind of the way we view church and even relationships these days as Velcro community, right? It's, it sticks easy, it's convenient, but it's really easy to pull off. You think of Velcro shoes, right? You don't have to worry about the knots and the shoestrings and, and, and trying to get those tangled up because the Velcro shoes, you, you, you snap them on and off really easy, really convenient, least effort required there. And we treat community as the same way. Easy on-ramps, easy off-ramps. We always have kind of this, this exit ramp if we need it. Okay? We have to commit if we're going to be um, a family and grow in community. So showing up on Sunday night or Tuesday night or Thursday night, whenever the, the gospel community meets here, requires commitment. There's a temptation to, to, to not fully commit to that, to leave our options open, Right? This fear of missing out of if something better comes along, I want to leave that night of the week open so I can go, could kind of go do that instead. And this is difficult, right, to commit to a group of people to show up in thick or thin. We live in this hyper-individualized and really anti-authority culture that says, don't, don't tell me to be someplace if I don't want to be there. I can do my own thing, even if it's last minute. I can, I can kind of skip out, or I can go choose a better option for me and what's good for me. But part of following Jesus is submitting, laying our own autonomy down, and submitting to Jesus as Lord, to submitting as, to Jesus as King. And if he's calling us to be family, then when we commit to family, we're submitting our, 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 our wants and our needs and our preferences to King Jesus, trusting that through his spirit working in the community, we are going to benefit from it. 
But it doesn't often feel like that at the beginning. It doesn't often feel comfortable to move into community. But Jesus asks us to do a lot of things that aren't comfortable. And all of this, I know this is hard, but all of this flies in the face of our culture. Like everything about dying to self, committing to community, committing to show up in thick or thin, or whether you're busy or have a lot going on or any of the other things, you show up because we're called to it. You need the brothers and sisters, and the brothers and sisters need you. This is what commitment looks like. So, again, that's all with that word devotion. We're to be devoted to one another. And I don't want to miss that before we move on. So let's look at the rest quickly, the rest of this passage. Um, listen to what they were doing. Okay, They didn't get together just to hang out, although that, that's part of community. That's part of family, hanging out. But listen to the intentional practices that they did as a community. And that word practices is important. It just seems like there was a rhythm of these things, the way that the Acts describes it. Okay, um, So they devoted themselves to, in verse 42 there, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Okay, So there you have four things, the apostles' teaching or, or God's word in our day and age, fellowship, or this idea of koinonia, Right? It's not just, hey, let's, let's get together for an hour over some food. That's part of koinonia. But this koinonia idea is this, this all of life. There's this depth and intensity that's, that's, that we're united together through his spirit. That's really what that word fellowship means. We shouldn't watch. Sometimes that word gets watered down. And then to the breaking of bread, which is eating. They just ate together a lot. And to pray. So if you got together consistently with brothers and sisters in Christ and do these, do these just these four things, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Right? And it seems like they did this regularly. They, they had it in their schedules. They showed up and they read the Bible when they didn't want to read the Bible. They, they, they didn't want to eat with this group of people, but they showed up and ate with this group of people because it was a practice. It was a habit that was formed in them. So they were, this community, hear this, the community was built around these practices, not around people's preferences or opinions. Or this is how really I want my community to look like. I want it to look like this. No, like, here are the things that Jesus modeled for them, right? When he was walking with them and living with them, right? He was teaching them. They were eating together. They were praying together, and they were hanging out and spending time in fellowship together, okay? These were the things they were doing together following Jesus, and now they're reproducing that as the early church. I want you to just think of how the, all the time you spend in Christian community, how much of that time is spent on these practices, these practices, it's eating together. I'm talking about like sitting across the table from one another, eyeball to eyeball, and kind of eating slowly together and having good conversation over food. Time in prayer, time in the word, time going over processing, teaching in the word. Hanging out together, like, like intentional fellowship. Um, how much of your time is spent in these ways? Um, oftentimes, we kind of get together in small talk or we talk about politics or current events. And again, those things can be a small part of this. If that, is, if that is all you're doing as a Christian community, it is lacking. Let's look at verse 43. So based off these practices, things start happening, okay? And the Spirit is obviously involved in those practices because the Spirit's fallen. They devoted themselves. They start practicing some things, working things into the schedule, and then something start, things start happening. Verse 43, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Would you describe your community as one of awe? And not just the miraculous, not just the, the miracles that were happening amongst them, but do you, do you have a sense of, of, of God's presence when you're a part of the community? 
Do you see each other as, as people who have your, your brothers and sisters with souls who need care and love and encouragement? It says many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. The Spirit was active and moving in these ways. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And verse 45 says, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I think that, that example is used as, as how they were giving their possessions away and making sure nobody had need. They were freely had open hands with all their possessions. Just, just, that's the pinnacle of love, right? Like if, if somebody was to come into your gospel community and see, does this, what are the evidences of, of this group loving one another? If people start pooling their resource together and meeting each other's needs, paying each other's bills, doing these kinds of things, they're going to say this community loves one another. Okay, and so I think there's there, all sorts of things were being done, but I think Acts two wants to wants to see the, the the biggest thing they were doing, and that was they were selling their possessions of belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were loving one another in tangible ways. Verse forty six, and day by day attending the temple together. So there was a, a larger gathering like we're doing now, and breaking bread in their homes. And there was a scattered form of gathering. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were thankful for the little things. Right? They were thankful for food. They understood that was a part of God's grace and mercy. And lastly, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. Um, and then it says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved, right? So there's nothing in this particular passage about evangelization. Um, now, Peter preached an evangelistic sermon right before this, and we see evangelism throughout Acts, and that's, we're called to do that as Christians. But in this passage, there's no uh, a specific thing they said, hey, they're evangelizing, but it still says in verse 47, and the Lord added their number day by day those were being saved. So they, people were, by watching them, by, by them living this stuff out, and kind of in public, but uh, they had obviously had this, this open table. This open group where anybody could come in and have dinner with them. Anybody could come in and sit under the apostles' teaching with them and process these things. These weren't closed groups where it was all about the Christian community. They were living this, this faith out publicly together. People saw this. They said, I want that. And then I'm sure, obviously, the gospel was preached in there somewhere. But it's, it's interesting that they were being saved. And to the point I think Acts is trying to make here is that based off of just being a part and watching what was happening here. And we see just in the book of Romans, the, the, the one another passages, right? So if, you're, if you need more specifics, listen to just in Romans, here are the one another's. Love, be devoted, honor, live in harmony, build up, be like-minded, accept, admonish, greet. These are just from Romans. There's 59 one another statements in the New Testament. So you should, at some point, look those up and ask, is, am I doing these for other people, and are these things being done to me outside of the people who live with me, right? Outside of my, my family that I would call my, my spouse and my kids, right? Is this happening for you in your life? If not, you may not be involved in biblical community the way the Bible describes it. Listen to David Brooks. He says, um, we live in a culture of hyper-individualism. There's always a tension between self and society, but over the past 60 years, we've sung too far towards the self. The only way out is to rebalance, to build a culture which steers people towards relationship, community, and commitment. The things we most deeply yearn for yet undermine with our hyper-individualistic way of life. In this same book, Brooks talks about we, we need love-drenched accountability. This idea that we need to be accountable to following Jesus. 
but what needs to be done in the context of love and vulnerability and mutual care so that there's a safe place for us to be vulnerable and to be challenged to be held accountable. This is biblical community. Now, the rest of our time, I want to get really practical because, again, in this room, I think if you've been in church any length of time, you're kind of like, yeah, I get it. Like, you hear this sermon about being in community probably once or twice a year at every church, right? But but yet still the numbers show, and just from anecdotal evidence, it's not happening. So there's a, there's a barrier here. So I want to get really practical, and this is maybe, you could say it's a tool to help us, okay? We, we've walked through this before, probably a couple of years ago in a sermon, but um, this comes from some pastors and I think some, maybe some sociologists too, of just the stages of coming into a community. First stage, coming into a community, and this will be up here, is excitement. Right? You have excitement for coming into community, Right, that's kind of the honeymoon stage. You join a new group, you're like, these people are awesome. I love being a part of this group. And this moves to the second stage, which is apathy. I don't love that word, but it's more of contentment, right? You become content with, okay, this is good, right? Like, I, I'm, it's in my rhythms, and it, everything's happening well, and you're just kind of rolling along. And then the third phase is disillusionment. Disillusionment happens, um, so you hit excitement, apathy, disillusionment. And disillusionment is where you realize, oh, no, like these people aren't perfect. Like these, there's some people in here that don't agree with me politically. There's some people in here, he said something the other night that really, I don't even know is biblical. What am I going to do? I, or somebody hurts you with the words they say. And then we, we'll all have this moment, right, of is this worth it? Is this worth it to continue to press in to these relationships? Is it worth it? Or what a lot of us do, and, and I've done this before, and we're all, I think, prone to this, is we'll go back to the beginning. You know what? I'm out. I'm going to leave this. I'm going to try a different gospel community. I'm going to try a different church. They weren't where I thought they were. I'm going to go back and try something different. And now you're not thinking about this process in your mind, but what you're doing is you want that hit of excitement again. This wasn't like it was. I'm going to go back and find something else. But you know what? Same thing happens. You get in there. You're like, oh, this is cool. This is awesome. And then you're like, okay, yeah, I'm a part of this group now. And then you're like, boom, people aren't perfect again. And maybe we should think that we bring sin to the table too. We often blame everyone else and say, you know what? I'm coming into this community with all my junk, all my story, all my baggage. And maybe I'm a part of the problem too, which is why we need to stick and help people work through um, each other's junk. Right? I'm as guilty as this as anyone else of thinking through these things. But if we can press into delusionment, go back to what we've seen today and the, 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 uh, the blessing and the results that could be of living in biblical community, the next stage is um, acceptance. I think is how I worded it up there. Is that right? Recognition. So you recognize, right? You recognize, okay, I'm a sinner. They're sinners. That's what the Bible tells us, right? We're all sinners, so maybe I can press in and work through this. You have some hard conversations. You have some, some rough um, times with each other, knowing that I want to work through this. I want to understand you. I want to know where you're coming from. I want to know a little bit about your story that may, causes you to act the way you do. And here's, here's my story, and this is why I'm a little sensitive to that. So let's talk through it. And then lastly, you have love. And this is when we think of like Acts 2 and this, this idealistic picture of, of community in the scriptures. We really want this idea of love, this safe place of acceptance where we may disagree on some things, but the core things of the faith we have in common and we love each other and we're helping each other grow. And this is what biblical community looks like. 
But again, most people turn around and run at that point of delusionment. Okay? Last uh, quote here, um, where people no longer, I guess two more quotes here to kind, of, to kind of really solidify this, where people no longer have the inner daring to make serious promises or the grit to keep them, human community becomes a combat zone of competing self-maximizers. Basically just saying the focus is on what can I get out of it? Is this group going to maximize my whatever you're looking for? And then listen to David Foster Wallace in this quote. Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I'm the absolute center of the universe, the realest, most vivid and important person in existence. We rarely think about this sort of natural basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive. But it's pretty much the same for all of us. Deep down, it is our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There's no experience you've had that you were not at the absolute center of. The world, as you experience it, is there in front of you or behind you or to the left or the right, on your TV, your monitor, whatever. Other than people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but you are your own immediate, urgent, real. So it's really hard to get to this point of love that we all want to get to in community, in, to, to, to form each other, if you don't know the gospel. If you don't have a relationship with God that, is, that, is, that he accepts you uh, and you did nothing to deserve his mercy and grace, not, he, he, he loved you when you were at your worst. Christ died for you, apart from your goodness, apart from wearing your masks. He knows every part of you, and yet he still died for you. And allowing that acceptance of the Father's love and him calling you a son or a daughter and allowing you to then be able to walk into a space that's not safe because it's full of a bunch of other sinners at first. You can, you can lean on your own um, relationship with God to help you work through that process and get to the point of love. And then be able to love other people unconditionally without any strings attached. We can't love other people well, and I don't think we're going to stick in community with the commitment unless we understand how much we've been loved. So when we experience this, this, un, this uncomfortability and we feel um, that we've been um, shunned or we've been be betrayed by people in community, which is going to happen, we can go back to the one who never betrays us, the one who accepts us fully, the one who loves us fully, and that is God. So the application here is obviously get in a gospel community. That's what we call these things. That's, what, that's how we see this worked out, our gospel communities. This is challenging, right? And I know this is, this is against everything our culture tells us, but it's worth it. And the New Testament writers expected followers of Jesus to be in community. They expected that. That was an assumption. And they also knew it would be messy. That's why there's so many one another's. Paul had to remind them. A lot of the New Testament letters came out of brokenness and community. But it's worth it. It's worth pushing into community. So through the power of the Spirit, remembering the gospel, let's be the kind of people that jump into formative community. Let's pray. Father, and I thank you for your calling. I thank you that um, you've hardwired us for, for community. And we've all in this room probably have tasted what, at least a little bit, of what this idea of biblical community looks like. When we can, can show up with other brothers and sisters and feel safe, feel accepted, but also feel challenged, that we can be fully known and that we can work hard to get to know other people. Help us. Those of us who are choosing connectivity over community, help us. 
those who are looking for chemistry over community, help us. Those of us who are scared to death of showing up someplace and being vulnerable, help us. And those of us who have a fear of commitment because something else better may come along, help us. Shape us, Spirit, to be the kind of people that will say yes to community so you can actually help us find freedom and joy in your Son. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.